Hello and welcome again to Board Chitless. I'm Alexis Williams. I'm joined today by Tristan Hall. Excellent. I think we nailed that intro there. <laughs> this week we've been playing Thunderbirds, Invaders, and also 1066, which brings me straight into my point that this week's episode is sponsored by 1066. Tears to many mothers. A game by Hall or Nothing Productions. Now, this week, all or Nothing sent us a review copy to have a quick look at, and we managed to play a round of it. So we're just going to quickly go over what our experiences was with the game. So 1066, Tears to Many Mothers. Tristan, could you tell us what the game's about? Okay, so I'm a little bit biased. I'm not going to give an opinion on the game since I designed it. But it's a two-player, head-to-head card game in the style of Magic the Gathering. It plays very quickly. Players take it in turns to play an action and the play passes backwards and forwards. There is no deck building required. So once you've got the game, you take your deck, either Saxons or Normans, you shuffle the deck and off you go, you go straight to battle. So there's no pre-preparation before the game. The cards themselves are all based on historical people, characters, units, tactics, events, and things that happened during the history of 1066 and the Battle of Hastings. Players take it in turns to try and defeat their objectives. So each of them has a historically based objective every turn that they're battling against, whether it's the Saxons fighting the Vikings up at Stamford Bridge or William trying to muster support at the War Council of Ruin. And as the players make their way through these objectives by attacking them effectively, once they've defeated them all, they get to go to Hastings, shore up their defences and get ready for battle. And once both players have achieved all their objectives and they're both at Hastings, then they take it in turns to fight for the three wedges, which are the cards that players have to inflict damage onto to win. And the wedges represent a few thousand troops, like the actual wedges of troops did in Battle of Hastings. And the first player to claim two of those wedges by inflicting 10 points of damage onto one of them wins the game. So it's a race, basically, to try and smash those wedges and win. And that's <laughs> a rough explanation. I'm going to pass you over to Lecky for his thoughts on his play of the game. What do you think? Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was. Um... Although we said we were going to talk objectively because it stinks of <laughs> <laughs> me yeah. setting up a, yeah. a shill. So let's talk. Why don't you just tell me how you think it plays rather than how good or bad it was because then you won't <laughs> make people call foul. Luckily, I'm not getting paid for this, which takes a lot. Quite the opposite. You yeah, yeah. To it stay brings late. a lot of objectivity into it. The game plays remarkably quickly, actually, considering the size of the decks of cards. I was expecting us to sit there. It would be a bit of a war attrition until one of the decks is gone. But that isn't really a mechanic that features, which is great and quite refreshing to me as a deck builder. You just pick up two cards every turn, maximum hand size of about six, even though I got nowhere near that with my (laughs) bad management of resources. It doesn't take too long for you to get all your cards down onto the table and then you pass in because you either want to hold resources in your hand, you want to keep control of the first player advantage, or you just fence up already. Some of the cards are free to play or they just cost one or two cards. Quite a few and the more interesting cards will cost you three or four and I'm a greedy player, so I end up being magnetised towards those expensive cards. And it kind of always does me enjoy deck builders, but I like the shinies. Um, and that really went against me this game, but that's just first play. Yeah, it's, it's a learning curve that you have to get used to with that. Um, but I don't think this is the sort of game, like, compare it to something like Netrunner, where there's just bags of rules, there's a huge meta to the game. 
I don't think this is anything like that. I can pick it up quite quickly. The start of the game, I was a little bit lost with a couple of mechanics that were going on, but then it only took me about three or four turns to work out what I was doing with that. And then by the end of the game, I had a very good idea of why I was losing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the next game that we play will be a lot smoother. I'll have a better idea of how the mechanics are moving along. I really, really enjoyed the flavour text on this game. <laughs> a historical game about the Battle of Hastings. I really like to listen to what the characters are doing, why they're doing it, what their journey was. There's only like one or two lines, but I did find as I was waiting for Tristan to take his turn, I was kind of reading a little bit about my character's backstory. Which is probably what distracted me a little bit, maybe, from all the cheeky secondary actions <laughs> that could have maybe won with the game. We distracted you with learning. <laughs> exactly, subliminal exactly. learning. Subliminal learning, that's what you always want in a game session. As a game, I think it's absolutely brilliant, really. I think trying to remain objective. <laughs> I had fun. It's amazing, being objective. It's, it's, so, it's so nice. But yeah, it's a fun game. It's a quick game. I try and imagine playing games at Johnny Lunchtime Break with a mate and I think could possibly at a push get two sessions of this so if you both knew what you're doing get two games out of this out of the way if it is kind of like drawing one of you solely for time you'll get one game but I think you'll really enjoy that there's a lot of meat to it 1066 kickstarts on the 1st of June yep excellent and where can people go to get a bit more information about it? You can check out our Facebook page and the Board Game Geek page, which is nicely active. If you just Google 1066 Tears to Many Mothers, and that's kind of a bit of a Google whack. I don't think there's any other references with that. 1066 Tears to Many Mothers, check it out. Coming soon on Kickstarter, it's going to be the follow-up to our first game, Bloom of Killforth. We're going to keep up the same levels of art and delivery. We've got the same designer and artist working on it. So it's going to be a beautiful looking game. <laughs> no, we've got the advert out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the gratuitous plug sorted. <laughs> so we start off on Thursday nights. My little one will join us and we'll have a family friendly game. And tonight it was Thunderbirds, which is a cooperative adventure game by Matt Leacock, the guy who did Pandemic and Forbidden Island. And it's a race against the HUD who is causing disasters all over the world. And you've got to try and stop the disasters and foil his evil schemes. So it's a cooperative game where you take it in turns to play actions to move around the board and try and stop the disasters. <laughs> what did you think, Lucky? I think it's a really good game. We've played it a few times now. I'm a big fan of the varied movement. So like Thunderbird 1, obviously is nippy. You can move around three spaces. Thunderbird 2, a bit more cumbersome, only move two spaces. But it can carry the... Yeah. The pod vehicles and stuff. You can get some equipment shifted. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty sweet. I like the way the little lid comes off the top of Thunderbird 2. And you can get your little card or Thunderbird 4 into the back of it. Thunderbird 2 is also my favourite miniature. <laughs> <laughs> the metal one as a child 30 years ago. Ooh, very nice. You've got your unique abilities. You can get extra buffs at the end of your turn. Like sacrifice an action. Everyone's got free actions, um, you can move around so much, you can just get on with rolling dice, or you can just pick up bits and pieces from the board, so you can get an FAB card, which is generally pretty nice. You can see what Grandma's cooking is all about. <laughs> usually move um, a player around for free on the board, or get some extra tokens, or just do something generally towards your objective to make life a little bit easier. A lot of them tonight tended to be create some technologies, like get them all, or the elevator yeah. cars sorted. Get all the stuff out of Brains' notebook. 
So there's little touches like that that just make it seem quite Thematic nice. Thematic. Yeah. For, for quite a light sort of game. Definitely. It's a cool thing. Yeah, and I do like as well that all the HUD events and the mission scenarios are all based on Joey Anderson's old episodes. Yeah. It's pretty cool. We like brought back a few memories watching Thunderbird reruns on the ITV2 <laughs> from Grandad. It's just a really fun game, very straightforward, encourages a lot of communication across the table. It's occasional arguments about who's doing <laughs> where and who's been ditched on Thunderbird 5 and 2 turns while you got stuff done down in America. Building on what you said about communication, for a light, family-friendly game, it really does require good cooperation and team talk to defeat the objectives and to, to beat their schemes and whatnot. Those Matley Cut games seem to have sort of simplistic designs on the surface, but underneath there's a lot going on. And if you don't coordinate, you can lose really quickly. You can let things spiral out of control really quickly. And we were only playing it at the standard level. So maybe we need to move it up to, you know, whatever the difficult level is next. But it does still feel like you're up against it. And if you don't coordinate who's going to be where, using which machine and which Thunderbird to get where they need to go, then, yeah, it can fall apart. So I love the way that you have to cooperate. And everybody's input seems to be as valuable. So there's us two listening to my little seven-year-old telling us what to do at some points because he's on it a little bit faster for whatever reason. And so we do tend to share the responsibility of who's looking out for which disasters where and coordinating when you need to go out in space and stuff. So it's, it's got lots of cool sort of tactical features that do keep you on your toes and that hood track's always advancing. Yeah, the hood track, I do enjoy the dice with the little hood instead of sixes. So when you, when you roll either one and a hood or double hood, everyone's going to make you feel like a <laughs> bit of a simpleton. We did all right tonight, though. There was very few hoods rolled. I think we did very well. Um, we managed to I get about 370-odd points. Yeah, 271. Yeah, so a fair amount. It did. Record's about 420, I think. So. There you go, did quite well. We do keep track of points. <laughs> it's important. If you don't keep track of the points, it never happened. <laughs> You've got to, got to chase that high score, <laughs> which is why we should play novice mode next week. <laughs> it's really simple to teach. It's something my wife and little boy can play. For that alone, it's brilliant because it's an amazing gateway game to get people in. Uh, it's got a cool theme, really appealing theme to the little ones. But the flip side to that is if I tried to introduce it on a Thursday night with just our gamer crew, they'd probably play it and they'd be happy to play it. But I think all of us, myself included, would be more interested in playing more complex games and breaking out Scythe or Eclipse. We've not mentioned Eclipse yet, so just get Eclipse in. <laughs> For that reason, um, if I was exclusively playing with my gamer friends, it would see a lot less table time. But it's a brilliant fallback for that level of sort of forbidden island level of being a great family game and a quick game to play at the start of the night before you kick things off with something meatier. What about yourself? Thunderbirds isn't out of state, it's welcome. It's about half an hour, 45 minutes, yeah. roughly. And you're constantly thinking about what to do next, what's coming up, what's what HUD tracker is happening. And like you're saying, everyone's just talking to each other about the game, which is the exact opposite of what can happen if some games where it's everyone's talking about a thing but the game. Yeah. It's just nice, it's really easy to get invested in the theme and everything works around it so fluidly that it doesn't really matter if it's more of a basic game. It's the same like Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. Those are also games that they might appear to be very thin, but they're not. There's a lot going on, you're constantly moving, you're constantly being challenged. And if you do let it slip, if you sit back on your laurels, then you're going to get, you know, buried inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd say if you're looking for some to play with children or you're new to gaming and you want something pretty simple that you can keep your friends interested in it, then give it a go. Buy it. 
play it a few times. If you kind of get bored of it, just sell it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> like all board games. <laughs> okay, so final game of the night is Mark Chaplin's Invaders. Yeah, so Invaders is an asymmetrical deck builder. Well, let's clarify. Ooh. Deck builders. So it's come up a couple of times. Now. A deck builder is usually the kind of game where you build your deck as you play the game, like Dominion and the Legendary Encounters type games. Whereas these are pre-constructed decks. So the deck's ready to go, you just shuffle it and off you go. So you're not actually building your deck as you go, really. Ah, so how would you classify this then? A deck haver? Yeah, because there's deck construction, like Lord of the Rings, where you build your deck before you start. There's deck builders, where you build your deck during the game. And we're going to have to rely on someone in the comments section to tell us what a deck haver is supposed to be called. A deck game? A card game? Probably. Yeah, it's definitely... Well, yeah, it's a card. It's a card-based game. Each player has a set number of cards in the deck. There's a couple of expansions which mix things up a little bit. You've got heroes, events, and generally a few bits of artillery, such as planes or nuclear missiles for the humans. And then the aliens have all sorts of monstrous creatures that just look absolutely terrible. And mm, that sounds bad. That look fearsome and do some incredible damage. You just pick up your deck, shuffle, and away you go. I really enjoyed having the three different tiers where you have to try and attack as an alien, whereas the humans start with an advantage of five um, power in Eurasia, and then three in the Pacific Rim, and then three in Africa. The sheer fact that one of the theatres of warfare is the Pacific Rim alone <laughs> gets me excited. Yeah, right on the human side. in this game. <laughs> The artwork alone by uh, Chechunya too, who will probably execute me for mispronouncing that, but the artwork is amazing, really evocative, references loads of 80s sci-fi type movies. There's all kinds of really cool movie references on the cards, from anything from the VTV series, Doctor Who, The Thing, all kinds of really ace pictures and disturbing adult rated pictures maybe, I don't know, they're just, the aliens are sick. Uh, and it's ace, and they've got brilliant names like Spawn, Beautiful, Naked, Star, Vampires, and uh, all kinds of stuff. Actually, that's one of the uh, cards from the expansion, Invaders Armageddon, which we were playing with tonight, which I think is an excellent expansion because it has lots of modular elements that you can just plug and play into the base game. And the base game alone, I would probably play 100 times without ever adding the expansion in. But the expansion just has loads of variety and variability. The main thing that we've been using is the reinforcement packs, which is basically just an extra deck of cards that you get to call on as well. There's a mechanic where you can add them to your hand, basically. But just loads of extra units and character types and things that help give the game a bit more longevity. Well, that was it, yeah. Every three turns, you get this hero card, for want of a better phrase, yeah. that just completely causes havoc with the other player's system. Yeah. And it was interesting, because you learnt to just prepare yourself for the pain that was going to rain down once every three turns. You played as Mankind three times last time we played this game, didn't you? Yeah. And I tonight, could be... we, we switched sides, didn't we? We so? did, yeah. And the aliens were well cool to play. <laughs> yeah, you kicked my ass. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's great. I think it's great on either side of the table. The decks play so differently. The invaders, you're constantly struggling to try and overcome the defences of mankind. And uh, you'll do anything that you can to get that drain, because you've got to get a drain every turn to drain their deck and try and run it out. And mankind just have to react to where the invaders have popped up and try and shore up their defences. And it's really good 
really cool back and forth card mm -hmm. play. There's loads of like mega effects in the game as well, where giant creatures come out that are just completely unstoppable, it seems, unless mankind suddenly draws a nuke or some amazing bomb card that will just take out this Cthulhu-type giant tentacle monster that's stomping through New York or whatever. And the fact that you could bring in in one turn an 8-8 eight, eight creature and then I could just nuke it in the next with one card play, you know, that it's just brilliant to be able to have those mega moves where you're like, take that. The theme is excellent and it really feels thematic for a card game. You really feel like as mankind, you're up against like these insanely overwhelming alien forces. And likewise, as the aliens, you get to stomp all over these pesky humans and infect them with disgusting hybrid creatures and nanobot kill swarms and these really imaginatively titled cards. It's really pretty looking. Pretty's not the right word. Disgusting and beautiful. The artwork itself is <laughs> of a pretty high standard. And I love how occasionally it's like we pulled out a card where it was basically Vasquez Funny aliens yeah. attacking one of the tripods from War of the Worlds. It was yeah. absolutely mental. But yeah. it looked cool as. What I really liked about this game is that there's the big hitter cards that cost you like six or seven cards to play in. They'll do tons of damage. But the Freeper cards are quite interesting amongst themselves because they won't cost you anything to play. But they'll do just these nice little maneuvers, like they'll make things much cheaper to buy, or they'll just kill off one or two of your units. And if you can combo a few of them, then you can get these really productive turns in where you end up throwing down a load of cards and annihilating the opposition, really. It's quite interesting how quickly the game turns, and I really like the objectives. Or oh, is it campaigns? How is it um, the mechanic labelled, really, where you, you basically have a one-shot, I'm going to flip this token over, and it will hamper you in the short term by putting you ahead or behind on a tracker, but it'll give you five of your cards back from your discard pile, or it will let you take three cards up from your deck. And when you're in a situation where you've just paid like seven cards to put one card down and someone's bombed it, then it's really nice to just have that little... Strategies, they call it. Yeah. Strategies, yeah. Have that DEFCON 1 button, just press it, drain the oceans and pick up some cards. I found it helped me get out of hot water twice, yeah. sort of mid-game, and from that I could build up and win. Yeah, you can swing it back, can't you, at the last minute. So it, it, you sort of always feel like you're in the game up until you know you're not. <laughs> it often comes down to the wire, although tonight <laughs> you gave me a thorough whooping before we got to that point. I think you still about half of your deck still intact before mine had disappeared. But there were some really amazing combos that you pulled out there. And that's what the game allows for. You know, you can have those swingy, quick win type games, or you can have the long played out mm -hmm. war of attrition type games, to use your terminology. And I think both are as satisfying a way to finish as the other. You know, you can feel like you have a real victorious flush of amazing look and card strategy that allows you to womp on your opponent, wail on them with giant beasts and things. <laughs> or, you know, it can be a tooth and nail right down to the last minute. However it plays out, it's always a fun story and a fun adventure. And this kind of thematic card game is right on my street. Amazing art, amazing theme, brilliant card play. Love it. If we had two player nights every week, this would probably be out every week. <laughs> As it is, we tend to have four or five players usually, so two-player games don't get much table time really, not as much as they should, yeah. but yeah, this would come out way more often if that was the case, and perfect for work lunch breaks and that kind of thing.
Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, again, another game that doesn't outstay its welcome. You're constantly thinking about what's going on and how you're going to react to the situation that's just unfolded then and there. And it, it plays really swiftly. There's not really a lot of downtime. Occasionally you'll be looking at the artwork or having a look at, oh, do I want this card or that card? It's going to cost me the same, but what am I going to get rid of ultimately to play it in? I really enjoyed it. I think it's up there. For me, like I mentioned earlier, it plays as excitingly as Netrunner plays, but it doesn't have all that prep before it. You don't have to worry about building your deck. You just play out of the box, get going, maybe shuffle in a few extra items or read up on a few extra rules from the expansions. But other than that, it's just get up and go. Yeah, I really appreciate that as a, a style. And I think, like you say, you don't have to research other people's decks online or spend hours poring over the different combos you can just grab the decks and off you go and and we've not even scratched the surface with the expansion stuff yet there's motherships and all kinds of really cool extra components that we've not really looked at but the small amount that we have used like the reinforcement packs and everything has shown us there's huge scope in the expansion and it's the kind of stuff where it's really pleasing because what it adds to the game is a ton of variability that you didn't miss beforehand, but when you play with it, you're like, okay, well, we're never going to play without that. Moving forward, it's going to always be part of the game, which is brilliant for a two-player head-to-head thematic adventure card game. This is a 9 or a 10 for me, and happy to play it whenever anybody suggests it. So there you have it. Thanks very much for joining us for this week's episode of Board Chitless. This week we've been playing 1066, Tears to Many Mothers, Invaders and Thunderbirds. We'll see you again next week with some more games. Thanks very much. Goodbye.